0: Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. On today's episode, we're lucky enough to sit down with Bryony Cole.
1: Podcaster at Future of Sex, teacher at Sex Tech School and innovator at uh, Wheel of Foreplay. We uh, deep dive into some pretty interesting topics. I know oh, that hey, you were,
0: hey, we crack open the top drawer. We get a bit weird and wacky in this one, don't we?
1: Get a bit funky, a bit creepy, so if you... Yeah,
0: it's, it's honestly, it's fucking awesome, isn't it?
1: Oh, to spend our mornings talking to someone like Brody who jumped on, she's over in New York and sit down and talk about like, where the industry's going, how big the market is, what are some of the trends, what are some of the like, opportunities. What, opportunities, how is it bringing like, inclusivity back into, like, into the market, just amazing, amazing chat and she's a buddy legend. Yeah, just listen to it, we'll shut up now. Enjoy.
0: What's been happening in your world lately, Brody Cole?
1: Well,
2: I just got to New York after spending lockdown in Melbourne and feel like I'm jumping into another lockdown over here where COVID has gone nuts, Um, but we won't talk about COVID because that's boring, but I came over here, came back for work. So the sex tech market over in the US is kind of taking off, especially because of people being locked inside and discovering, oh my gosh, intimacy, that's really important to my survival. So I came back to shoot a show here, finish off season two of the podcast and then launch um, Sex Tech School, which is a school for entrepreneurs to learn how to get into this industry.
0: These oh, humans, you're pioneering the next wave. You're just, you're, you're, <laughs> your finger's on the pulse there, isn't it? You is... too can be a part of Sex
2: Tech. <laughs> I think you're riding my, like, marketing lines now. Finger on the pulse <laughs>
1: I think that's that. the
0: only thing that's what well, brain just is that capacity or I can just get to that point and then not much happens. So give, line. How,
1: how was it like you obviously you when we've done a bit of our research and done a bit of a suss you present and do conferences and you do lots of different things all over the place what was it like being stuck in Melbourne in lockdown did it really impact you and what you do?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it impacted me in that it totally changed my business model. You're right. I I was traveling the year before, just every month traveling and going and speaking about this topic, sex tech and the future of sex all around the world, and that went to a very abrupt halt. Um, actually, when I was in Melbourne, I was speaking at PAWS Fest and then sh- you know shortly thereafter, there was no South by Southwest and there was no more events. And I've actually loved it because it's allowed me to go deep back into the work, what's happening, get back into the research and you know develop this school for anyone that's aspiring to be in the industry. And then also just make stuff again. I'd spent so much time talking about stuff and talking about sex tech and not really going back to making. So the first thing I did was go back to that creative space and start making stuff. And um, we created Wheel of Foreplay, which is this fun spin the wheel game with some people in the industry, which we'll talk about. But yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, as taboo as this is, I've really loved 2020. Like it's been awesome for me
1: as for us breaks up
0: your routine a bit like you're saying like you're talking about talking about it now it's like a refresher like you're going through it again and you're like oh now I know I'm much smarter now I can run this through to rinse again and it's like a different version of what you thought it was in the first place is that is that yeah
2: yeah it's like you just have a chance to sort of be quiet and Mm. I was down the beach which was also a really welcome break from living in the city for the yeah. past eight years and down the beach at a beach house and just like time out and just going what is actually happening what have i learned over the last four or five years and how can i consolidate all that and then make cool shit
1: mm. i think it's been an amazing time for people who are in that creative space to have that that time to reflect and pause and sit and yeah. reassess where you want to go. Cause everyone's had that reset moment. But get get yeah. through the
0: grief, you know what I mean? Get through the anger and the weird what's going on into more like, well, fuck
1: it. That's what <laughs> it's, it is, it's, yeah. an odd, it's an odd time, but mm. take us back, like rewind a little bit and be like, for those who are listening, a little bit like, how did you get into this? Like, who are you? What do you do? And how did yeah. you become so passionate about the sex tech industry?
2: Cool. Yeah. So I am Bryony Cole. I run future of sex. Uh, first and foremost was a podcast and um, has since evolved to be, yes, yeah, speaking gigs, events. We run hackathons, usually around the world, like innovation jams, invite people to come and make stuff in this industry and, and harped on a bit about the school before, but running this six-week program for people that want to go a bit further than a weekend and maybe build a product or a service in sex tech. Now, how I got started in this industry is always a question I get asked. And like for me, I feel like there's there's always a personal reason people get into this because to stay in this industry is so tough, um, straight out the gate, like reputation-wise, it's really tough to, to be able to talk about sex so much and, and not face or you're going to face judgment from everyone. But also in terms of finding money, manufacturing, getting involved in sex tech is really tough um, because of censorship and government legislation. So there's a personal story there, which is in real in short, is I had a very average sex education, very typical of Australia, like, not that comprehensive, kind of like, she'll be right, like, don't don't talk about it too much, like, oh, here's how you put a condom on a banana. Um, but on top of that, I never really had a sense of feeling like empowered as a woman or really understanding my sexuality. I was one of those people that developed sexually, like physically, before I did mentally because there's no education and no sort of talks about what makes sex great. And I just remember, you know, being in high school and not really understanding much and getting these like creepy stares from the old, you know, dudes down the street and not really knowing what that was and feeling like, oh, I've got to be small, but that's small in physical frame or small in voice and not like cause a fuss. And that was sort of the only message I got about, you know, being a woman. And that, that's a very typical story I find for women as it kind of follows you throughout that from childhood to high school to, you know, university, this idea of like, don't speak up, don't be too loud, don't be too much, don't be too anything um, and especially don't be too sexual because then you'll be branded a slut or, you know, we won't believe you if you're harassed all that sort of stuff. And I just, I think I reached 30 and was just sort of like fed up with not having a voice fed up with being introduced in meetings as like, oh, here's the Barbie doll, you know, and stuff. And I was like, well, I'm, you know, running community at Microsoft. I'm, you know, so much more. So that was like the personal narrative. And the thing that really keeps me in the game now and is passionate. is like, what would I have told myself at 15? Or like, how would I have given myself a bigger voice in a space? And then professionally, I'd sort of meandered through different Creative Fields, worked at Lonely Planet, worked for the government in Melbourne, and landed in New York through a tech company called Yama. They got bought by Microsoft. So I had this sort of understanding of what tech was doing and was working in the comms department. And it was just a beautiful merger of like getting fed up with, you know, being at Microsoft, not having a voice, going freelance in New York and finding this gig with absolute vodka, working on the future of nightlife. And they were like, Well, go out and interview a hundred people about what's coming in nightlife. How's technology and VR gonna impact nightlife? And you know, one of the, the interviews I did, these guys were creating a simulation for um, being in a hot tub with three supermodels. And they're like, oh, there's no need to go out anymore. Like we're doing this cool thing, like tell Absolute this is what we're doing. And Absolute like, absolutely not. I'm like, but what is that called? Like, what do you mean we're never going out? We're just sitting on our couch Saturday night. And they're like, yeah, there's no need to date. And I was like, oh this is something like there's something here. I don't know what it is, but I want to know more. And then I just, you know, took it upon myself to create a podcast, no idea how to create a podcast, like going around with my iPhone at the time, like whoever knows about sex or technology, you know, looking up people, Googling and um, it just struck a chord. And, you know, the first 14 episodes of this podcast was just me like, Wandering around, talking to sex therapists and stuff, and sounded like I was in the toilet. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I was like on oh, Garage Band, but um, the chord was struck. This production company called me, and they're like, "Look, the concept around sex and tech is super interesting. Your execution is absolutely terrible. So come to Nashville, and we'll teach you how to podcast." So I did that, and um, and you know, there we go. And from that point, it really took off because it had a, a higher quality. And I sort of learnt, learnt the rules of like how to podcast, how to write scripts, how to plan out a season.
1: That's insane. How did the narrative change from the time when you first, like, like you said, you're recording the podcast on your phone, learning about trying to, you're at Microsoft, you're just dabbling into what is this whole industry about? Mm-hmm. What were the sort of learnings you took away from like the first season you did in the podcast of going, well, fuck, what did this evolve into? Because obviously yeah. it's, it's grown legs and it's sort of really taken off. So I'd like to see what the, the learnings were there.
2: Yeah. So I think in terms of the subject matter, the learning was, oh my God, this is way bigger than I thought it was. I thought I would just be talking about sex robots and VR simulations and supermodels and realize, wow, it's, it's this huge industry. And actually there's a ton of women in this industry and they're all based in New York. So that was like a happy circumstance for me where I got to meet all these people in New York that were creating great things from like Erotic audio apps, the sex education tools, the different like body augmentations for women's sexuality. So that, w- that blew my mind that the industry was so big. And, um, and on the podcasting side, you know, I pretty quickly learned what I needed, which was an editor. And, um, and I, I Googled again, Google is like my best friend. I googled how do you grow a podcast and one of the top five tips was like host live podcasts so I just rocked up to this Aussie cafe actually in New York and was like look I want to host my podcast here can you can we do it after hours and they're like of course sure and that's really how my fan base grew in New York and so from a podcasting point of view I just was like oh trial by error learning all these things and it changed the game for me in terms of my craft in terms of being able to speak publicly and and then i got books for all these other gigs which which meant i could go full time doing future of sex
1: i love that that's a cool learn story. by
0: doing it's just that's the stuff we preach all the time the stuff we always talk about and it's just it's a classic case Get yourself in the game it's a classic playing. case get yourself in the game learn as you do it and like the learning like when you're in it too it, you're just growing aren't you you're just going yeah. i cannot believe like you can't sleep You're that excited because there's so much stuff going on and you're super passionate about it. It's like a second wind, isn't it?
2: It is. And, and it's really something I push in this six-week school too because people are like, how do I get into the industry? How, who should I know? What should I do? And I'm like, you know what I'm going to push you to do is actually make something. You have to come out of this and have to have made a thing. Like yep. that's the whole point. And whatever it is that gets you there, whether it's someone pushing you, or it's your own motivation, doesn't matter. You just gotta like close your eyes and do it. And I remember in my case, I sat down and had a coffee with a friend and he's like, you're gonna need to stay accountable. Um, I think you should ask people for money. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I think you should ask people for a dollar. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, I think you should make a video and ask people for a dollar to fund your podcast. And I was like, oh, this is so cringe. He's like, yeah, go on, do it. And I don't know, i worked up the guts, did it. And it really doesn't matter how much you raise at that point. I think I had like 25 people sponsor me, you know, they give you more than a dollar. But suddenly I was accountable to like 25 people. Some people I didn't even know, I'd posted on Facebook. And I look back now and I think, wow, that was the thing that got me through. Even though those 14 episodes sound like crap, that's the thing. It was the, <laughs> the pressure of other people's expectation it pushed me through and and sometimes it's okay and like ask people for a dollar yes. some people disagree with that and like no you need to put that dollar to world peace or save, you know <laughs> it's starving yeah. but like if that's gonna push you and keep you doing it that's that's the that's the thing I think it's doing that first one or that you- first 10 right
0: yeah, you're 100% right. I even felt that with starting our podcast. If we had the first like five people reach out and say, oh, we listen every week. It's like, oh shit. Like I have to be on now for these people. You know, it's like, a, I can't yeah. just fuck around. Like, I, I, and I can't just stop because these guys, they're saying how much it helps them with their work and that. And they're like, oh
1: fuck, we're going to do. I'm yeah. Do. It, so I can't so I'll put the
0: Spider-Man episode. suit on and I'm ready to go. Toby McGuire, you
2: know? No, I know. There's something, there's something about that pressure, that, that social pressure that's yeah. relevant.
1: Well, that's a good we, had a, we had a few people that were pretty excited that we're having you on the podcast and one of them was, we're not going to name names, but he's Simon Anderson. So we were, we were, talking, to, we were talking about him. He came down over the weekend, we went for a surf and we we're talking about the future of sex. And he's like, first thing he goes, is that sex robots? That was his first thought. Yeah. and I was like, mate,
0: yeah. We're gonna yeah, they're zombie sex robots and chew you up and spit you out. So like, yeah.
1: Are we gonna be going out for dinner soon and going out for a nice group dinner? And there he is, he's got his sex robot sitting next to him. Is that the is that where what's going on? Like what is the future of yeah. sex?
2: Well, I tell tell you what, Simon Anderson. Um, you know, you you're not wrong in having that as a first question. That's what everyone thinks. When we think about the future of sex, we think about sex robots and Funnily enough, sneaky plug for my podcast, because last week I interviewed a guy that has um, not robots, he has dolls, which I think is like step one, right, before we get robots. He has a doll for a wife, a doll for a mistress, a doll for a girlfriend, and another doll that is the girlfriend of the girlfriend doll. So he lives with four dolls. And so Mm -hmm. there's people out that they're doing that already, right? And so What's super interesting about diving into that, like, well, are we all, is this going to be normal? Are we all going to go out with sex robots? Is The first thing is people are getting used to falling in love with objects. You know, There's some that would argue we can fall in love with technology and our phones. And the, the part of that is like the AI, right? The Siri inside that. The second part is when it looks human, there's more of a tendency, or it looks like something that would have a personality, like a doll, for instance, there's more of this ten- tendency to anthropomorphize and give that thing a personality. Um, and in the case of the dolls, he has he even has Twitter accounts for all the dolls and the dolls post selfies and they interact with each other and him. And it's a super interesting world just in that sense. Um, and what stood out for me in talking to him is really just like the need for companionship. And I think mm. that sort of removes it from being something where we think, haha, or that's creepy or weird or thing. It's like when you get to the heart of the humanity of it is people are lonely and they want companionship. So that's one side, not to break your heart. Um, the other side is the technology side of like sex robots and are we gonna go out with them? Is it even possible? So where sex robots are right now they they're not um, what you consider like in the I guess most correct sense of robot in the fact I've forgotten the word that they can't they can't move their arms mm-hmm. in different ways and they can't move ma- their legs and so that's going to be a lot more dangerous when they start doing that in terms of like the technology has to have the spatial awareness if they're walking through a restaurant to be able to dodge a you know waitress or hold a drink so that's very sophisticated technology. Where they're at today, and the most sophisticated example of that is Harmony AI, is sex dolls. So they come out of the same factory that a doll would come out of, but their heads are very different. So inside the heads is technology, and it has all sorts of things that um, can either hook it up to VR, but it's very rudimentary, I would say, or the most um, sort of common example is through an app. And you can choose inside, you know, the doll's head is like a a smart AI, you can choose its personality. There's 12 different personality types from funny, shy, cute, submissive. You can dial it up and down. And it's it's kind of like a mix between talking to a Google Home and a Siri with a bit of sexy mixed in. Um, so there's there's a bit of like, yeah, we're kind of almost there. We'll probably be there. Um, but whether or not we will accept that as a society is a whole different game and taking them out to dinner. Yeah, it's really hard if they can't move their arms and their legs yet, but also they're really heavy. Like they're really heavy. Like it takes a lot to even move it around and talking to Dave Cat who lives with these dolls is like, he's like, I didn't even take them out of the apartment because they're so heavy. It's like carrying a human around, right? So there's, there's lots of different ways this could go <laughs>
0: it's like an episode of black mirror like you know the the black dating mirror. one like yeah. that oh, it's it's so interesting what's the movie with ryan gosling lars and the real girl is it
2: yeah you know i haven't seen it this is so ridiculous no way you haven't seen it I you know i know seen it. what's it about? The second person in the last week
0: yeah he Tell- falls in love with a doll and he takes it everywhere and stuff it's it's a oh, i think it was 2007 or so. it's like in that era yeah but it's crazy how but like touching on the the ai stuff in the head like you're saying it's Fulfilling a need—it's the loneliness, isn't it? It's the people want that desire to feel connected, and you know, something like for us, like falling in love with a doll, I suppose, is not something that I can understand. But for a lot of people, they they're in that position and they they do feel like that. And you know, you definitely do have to cater for people like that because there's a lot of people out there that do need that companionship. And if it makes them happy, it makes them happy.
2: That's right. Yeah, there's there's people that are you know, and we think, well, who are these people? I think that was really my question when I interviewed um, the the guy that has these dolls and also interviewing like real founder who who manufactures the dolls. like who are the people buying the dolls like i think that's what we're all sort yeah. of dreaming up in our heads like who is it and it is people for sure that have been through traumas that are unable to connect with another human that find humans just like but there's a control aspect to it as well as like I can control the situation. I know that nothing's unpredictable is gonna happen. But it's also people that have like intense PTSD through some other traumatic experience. And so there is a whole market there. And, you know, we're gonna talk a little bit about disability in a bit, but like, also that is a factor. Like if you're finding it hard to find a companion, like that, that there's a whole market for that, Um, for the aging population as well, as you grow older and like seeking that companionship. And we've seen that in Japan, not with sex robots, but with these seal robots. I don't know if you guys have seen this furry seal. No,
1: I um,
2: it. It's called Paro, and it's I'll this Google furry it. seal, and um, they've been doing these sort of case studies in nursing homes, particularly with, you know, patients with Alzheimer's. And they have this seal, and you can – it's like a, you know, puppy or a cat, and you can look after it and pet it, and it sort of makes these soothing sounds, like a purr when it's pet. Very and nice. it just – yeah, it's like a dog that you don't have to feed. You don't have to clean up the soil. Okay. Yeah, n- <laughs> n- not over a plant or anything afterwards, makes any mistakes. So that also is, is you know, they're measuring that and going, oh, let this feelings of contentment and of safety increase after having something like a robotic seal in your life. So you can kind of make the connection there of like, okay, Robotic dogs, robotic seals, sure. Like, yes. And the, the human part sort of seems to make a bit more sense then.
0: What about making things more pleasurable and making them like everyone can turn into now, well, why would we have a human connection when we can, you know, if I can just build a celebrity simulator of, you know, you're, you're 18 and you're like, oh, I'll have her as a girlfriend now. And
1: well, tiles is going to get rid of you and Em's going to get rid of me. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, like. Get the,
0: get the Ken doll coming out, coming through the door. Uh, do, yeah. a bit, do a better job. up. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Makes better sandwiches. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it? Is it? Do you have to be like, in terms of a humane sense, like humanity sense? Is there? Is are people thinking about that when they're making these sorts of technologies, or is it kind of just like money, money, or what? What is it?
2: I think so well I think in general there's no like ethics committee for sex robots or sex technology now which is actually a big problem is that there's no one really vetting this stuff so it can it can go a bit black mirror and it will like it that's sort of like when you're on the edge of technology it goes both ways goes really dark and then there's stuff that's really positive but I think like the question that you're getting at is like are we all going to be replaced you know and that's sort of the the real human fear is like, oh, am I gonna be replaced because of a better model that can come through? And one thing technology can't do is be spontaneous or replicate like unpredictability to an extent that is really believable yet, right? And things like spontaneity, humans are very intuitive. Like technology isn't that intuitive right now. It's not as creative as a human can be. It's not as, you know, just imaginative like they're really human qualities That kind of if we think of like left side right side brain they really sit in the right side of the brain that stuff is is what makes us human and technology is really good at algorithms logic you know reciting wikipedia all that memory all that sort of thing so technology can come to a point but there's stuff that in general most of us are seeking in a connection with someone else that technology just it can't quite get there. Mm.
1: Does that like make sense? Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. It's not there yet, but it's scary to think what,
0: yeah, well, where it could
1: go. Especially if there's no ethics to be like. Well, like we watched the social
0: dilemma, and it was all like the ads and stuff. But I feel like like sex, especially like like uh, the dopamine and stuff. Like people can become heavily addicted to, to this, and like and can affect different factors of your life, can't it? Really.
1: What, when you talking about that dude who had the four sex dolls. The first time that I ever remember seeing something like that. I don't know if you ever watched it. Was remember that show, My Strange Addiction. You ever see that show that I, I, I was like
2: media. I've got a list now of like things. <laughs> I remember
1: watching this show and this bloke took, he had a, the, the episode followed, it was like 45 minute episode where it, it was following his journey and about, he was in love with the sex doll and he used to take it out with him everywhere. And he'd go to restaurants and go whatever. And he'd set the place table for it. And for me, it's like, how is that crossover? as This industry starts to break down into mainstream. I think it's like, we had the same experience growing up. Like sex ed was like year nine. You go and you do the <laughs> condom on the banana. And then other than that, it. I didn't even get it. Other than that, like some, I went to a boys school. So I talk about porn and do whatever. But other than that, that's sort of all there was. But seeing a show like this and seeing someone walk around and have a sex doll and they're out for dinner, taking it out there and they're loving it. And it's like, what the fuck's like for me, it's like, what You're the fuck's exposed. going on? I'm not yeah. exposed to anything like that. Yeah. How is like normal society? Like being a bit of a, not a taboo sub, subject, but like you must get sort of that, people get a bit giddy or put in the naughty corner when you come and talk about the things that you do. How is that going to sort of cross over as we continue to move, I guess, into it, not being as taboo topic. Like it's a normal thing. Sex is normal. Mm.
2: Yeah. I, well, yeah, I'm hopeful. Like that's where I'm at and why I've been like going on about this for, for a couple of years now. It's like, I've seen it change. I've seen the conversation change to evolved to be people more open like we're having this chat on the podcast where four years ago that that didn't really happen unless it was a specific sex podcast and so what i've seen change is like stuff that we see on our screens like today i don't know if you guys have seen euphoria or sex education or i may destroy you see now i'm giving you media recommendations So
0: yep, yep. All right all it, right, yeah. yeah
2: yeah back and forth over the net. yeah ching, ching. um <laughs> Five stars all around. But these sort of things on our screens that we see now, they're presenting like trans people, people with different sexual orientations, preferences, young kids, like taking drugs and chem sex. And what's that like? And um, they're on Netflix, you know, or HBO. And they're on these mainstream networks. And so that's a really good signal for me when I'm looking at the future of like how society is changing and measuring that barometer is, yeah, that there's mainstream um, sort of networks that are displaying a lot more openness towards sex. Whereas maybe when we were growing up, it was like, oh, sex in the city, you know, or like um, 50 Shades of Grey or something. But the sex on the screen that you saw there was still kind of hilarious or funny. um, It was never real, you know, like Mm. it was always sort of like, oh, that's funny. Or like you're saying giddy or ha ha. Whereas now I think we're getting to a point where people are a lot more open and a lot more real about, you know, what's happening, what makes sex great, you know, not just the physical act, but like listening, empathy, communication, orientations, what, you know, different kinks. So unless, which is highly possible, I've been stuck in the sex tech world for too long and I'm just immersed in it, but I tend to sort of pop out and go, oh, this is what like everyday people are more open to now that's a great sign. And so I think we're slowly moving the needle. And in Australia, sex education is changing for sure, thanks to like smaller companies doing the work inside schools and stuff like that. Um, So I'm hopeful that that sort of creates a bit more of an area in between these two extremes, which is like, oh, let's not talk about it's condom on a banana, but wait till you're married. And like, I'm taking my doll out for dinner. Like there's a whole like range <laughs> in there. Somewhere you in need the middle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Get into and and be able to talk about. Otherwise, yeah, we're we're just keep keep stuck, you know, yeah. in this 1950s version of sex.
0: How, how big is the market? I mean, you mentioned earlier, like when you got in there, how how big is it? Like, what are we going to see? Like, yeah. is there big players? Like, give us yeah, a bit so- of the light on that.
2: Yeah, well, I used to think it was really impressive when I said the market was $30 billion, which when I started the podcast in 2016, this was the number that was bandied around. Is sex tech, and it's probably helpful to give the definition: sex tech being any technology designed to enhance sexuality. So that can mean, yeah, any technology, all the you know, VR, AR, AI, websites, apps, tools, whatever. But in the sex column, we're thinking about that as like education, health, crime and violence reporting, more than porn, more than robots, more than relationships and orgasms. It's like everything to do with your sexuality and your wellness. Um, So those two now, when we bring them together and look at that market, has moved to, I think the latest prediction I just read was in 2024, it's going to be worth $123 billion. Maybe it was 2026, but... (laughs) You know, from thirty billion to hundred and twenty, there is basically a shit ton of money in this industry. And you asked about who who sort of holds the reins or the capital there. Um, you know, there's a lot of money in adult entertainment. That's no lie. But what we're seeing is much more of an interest in other things like sex toys right now, which are growing, particularly because of COVID people are stuck home and they either want to be more adventurous as a couple or they're single. And, you know, that shame level is reduced because you're at home, you're bored, you're alone. You're like, Oh man, well, as well try this thing. We've got three more months of lockdown. And so sex toy sales have gone up. Uh, I'm going to say anecdotally because it's not reported anywhere other than yeah. Private conversations is 750 to 800%, which is,
1: Everyone's out there what? having some fun. Yeah, you know. Oh, mate, lock the doors,
0: baby. Huh?
2: <laughs> 100%. Yeah, it's exploding. And it's that thing of like uh, sex toys are, are really becoming mainstream too. And because you'll see on Instagram and stuff, people are positioning them next to beauty products or as part of wellness, you know. When I was meant to do this session in Melbourne called Sex and Zen where we were going to present like meditation and sexuality at one of the co-working spots, and it's like, oh, this is this is totally up for conversation now. Those things weren't before, so I think we're we're slowly getting there. I think Buzzfeed just announced they're they're creating their own sex toy. So like, if Buzzfeed's oh. doing it, fucking everyone's gonna be doing it.
1: I think we're gonna get in your course, I reckon six week course, lock. Like, yeah, let's. Because otherwise, that, like, I gonna, All you keep telling us is that we're gonna get an OnlyFans. Yeah, and I, well, I, was, I
0: was telling him, I go, what does it get to that point, huh? It's going to get to that point
1: soon, I reckon. Ditch the podcast. just do the on podcast. We're
0: going live on OnlyFans from Rob's bedroom. Yeah.
2: <laughs> created an interesting new show. I'm sure there's an audience there for you.
0: <laughs> I, I, no doubt. But it's like it's taken that pun, isn't it, really, isn't it?
1: Well, I, I was just saying before we done in here, we read an article yesterday, sent it through, like Bernard Tomic, who was at one stage, I think he was in the top 20 world-ranked tennis players and he was Australia's number one-ranked tennis player. He's now... You can now click a button, watch him have, I think it's have sex or have a, oh, what whatever he's that? doing with his, his new missus on OnlyFans. I'm thinking that's... he wouldn't be doing it if there wasn't money it, in it? hey? Fuck playing tennis, yeah, you know? Fuck,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing, right? There is this idea that there's a ton of money in, in platforms like OnlyFans and celebrities there are, or even, you know, people that are familiar, recognizable to us. We're so fascinated by seeing what other people's sex lives are because it's been so taboo for so long. So anyone that has any level of notoriety, opening in OnlyFans is is a nice prospect. I think one of the big things that has come out during COVID because people have lost their jobs and they're dabbling in OnlyFans is just knowing the privacy settings when you're setting up. Like, Don't use the same email that you use for your Facebook account, otherwise you'll have you know, a ton of new friend requests on Facebook that aren't, you know, necessarily people. People got to be ready to cross over their personal and private lives. And for people that are in the public eye, that feels a lot more, um, I'm not, I mean, I'm speaking on behalf of them now, but we would think that feels a lot easier than people that perhaps had a job at a cafe and lost their job and now are like, oh, I've got to do this, but how will I, how will I, you know, make money? It's, it's a lot of work. I've had friends do it. And, and as far as I know, OnlyFans, they charge you by the week. So you have to really keep engaging people by the week. And that's like, that's a lot. That's a lot of work to keep, keep your subscribers on. It's not just clicking oh click to get. Full
1: it's a full time. Yeah. Well, it's, inter- it's such an interesting platform. Cause I, I look at it and like, we've got a mate who plays Twitch, which is like gaming, which is like, you can just talk to people in the chat bar and stuff and, Is it the same thing? Is it just like that you go on there and you just, is it like, how is it different to what existed previously? And why is this one gone? Like, why is it in the news compared to what used to be exists? Like you could go and people could do live shows and do whatever, isn't it the same thing? Is it the same concept?
2: Yeah, I'm not like an expert on OnlyFans, but I do know that it popped up into like the cultural consciousness because of the pandemic. That's when things just went bananas for OnlyFans and they had a great fee, like a like unlimited um, sort of earning potential. They've now capped that thanks to the Bella Thorne scandal. I don't know if you followed that, where she like said she was gonna release nudes and then she released that not a nude, um, but collected all, you know, however millions of dollars in like 48 hours that she launched. But yeah, Ooh, so it popped up sticker. because-
1: yeah. Where's the nudes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nudes,
2: I paid my 50 bucks. It's
1: like a <laughs> Simpsons episode,
0: is <isn't> <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs>
2: um, But yeah, I mean, camming and all that became popular because of, of everyone stuck at home. Even sex workers, you know, lost their, their jobs that, that were out, you know, doing that in person. And so it's very attractive to think you could work from home and earn a shit ton of money. I think camming. Camming is different from OnlyFans, right? Now, now maybe you can tell me. But camming is that live aspect. I always thought OnlyFans was like they dropped in, you know, photos and, and videos every week.
1: Well, no, I haven't been on the platform. Yeah, I've got no know. idea. I'm just, just guessing. It oh, makes
0: sense. So it's, it's like YouTube then, like OnlyFans. Like it's just clips and then people can just pay and unlock a video. Yeah, like or something.
2: Patreon. Patreon?
1: Patreon, yeah. yeah. So, oh, okay, yeah. 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 So things have, everything that you, you want to put something up is behind a paywall. So you going to pay to play.
2: Pay to play. Yeah. subscribe that, make
1: sense. that makes sense privacy
0: but you mentioned privacy is a big issue like a lot of people who yeah like you said might have lost their jobs and gone on need. Oh, i'm going to do this to get some income and making yeah. them mistakes could be pretty costly you know there there are some yeah. people out there like anyone can access this type of stuff you know it's very, yeah. very
1: barriers to like limited barriers to entry too for yeah. people who might be in a in a different headspace so i don't know if it's like for me i, I look at it and I go anyone can do whatever they want their own body you sell what mm. you want to do but it's an interesting thing when there's limited barriers to entry and people can just make a decision that they might not have the education in that space that has might have long-term mental health effects, you know?
2: Yeah, totally. And like, uh, you know, you hear stories of people where, you know, their families found out or they got like doxxed, which means like their real name and their real address was given out on different forums. Like there's just a lot of shady stuff that can happen online as much as there is shady stuff that can happen offline, right? In the real world. And so that's a big problem in that industry is, you know, how do you separate your actual self from your digital self? And are you okay with that? Do you want to, do you know how to do that properly to protect yourself and your family? And maybe you've still got a job, right? And you've just Mm -hmm. decided to do this on the side. And um, how would you feel if, you know, your colleagues found out all that sort of stuff. So it's just like going into it with the right headspace. And then it sounds like having a marketing plan from... From you know friends I've talked to is you actually it's like a marketing job
0: yeah, Get out there entrepreneurs put up some
1: billboards you know? yeah yeah hundred percent take us to the full like you're saying the sex tech encompasses everything around sexuality and wellness and what you mentioned just before, like the inclusivity of of, of sex or sexuality and uh, allowing people who might have disabilities or whatever else that may have in their mm. life to be uh be involved and still gain the same enjoyment out of life that, that, that sex brings. Can you touch yeah. on why it's so why that part's such a cool part of the industry?
2: Oh my gosh. I think it's cool because it's new and it's emerging. Like you're right, you're tapping into like the the, you know, what's that? Zeitgeist? Yeah, sorry. Yes. What's a case? long day over here. Um like exactly. Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. cultural heartbeat of sex tech right now, which like where it's going in the pulse is, yeah, how inclusive can we make this not just for bodies that are heterosexual, that look a certain way that, you know, are this shape. How do we create products and services for people with different bodies with different sexual experiences and talking about disability, like eventually if you age, you will have a disability of some kind. You you have a mobility issue, maybe your knee goes. Like at some point, we're all going to be disabled, probably. And so thinking about it from that context, like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. We still really want to have sexual pleasure and enjoy ourselves. But how if, you know, our hands don't work that well. And so an Aussie Canadian company are kicking ass in this space. They're called Handy. And um, they've created this. I don't know if you guys have heard of that's them. Nice I yeah. love
0: the name. That is so, that's
1: my mind. H A
2: N D I. You definitely should have them on the podcast.
1: Yes. Um, handy, Heather, handy. Line. One, one liner.
2: So Heather is the co-founder. She's based in Sydney. Andrew Gerza is, Andrew is um, her brother. And he's based in Canada. And he's like a disability advocate. He's grown up. Um, you know with a disability and spent a significant amount of time in a wheelchair and talks to people about like hey like people with disabilities still want to have sex, still want to enjoy, like what happens when you can't masturbate? Oh you have to hire a sex worker. Do you know how expensive it is to masturbate if you have to hire a sex worker every time? And so um, it's really cool what they've done because they they went out and interviewed a bunch of people in the community that have different disabilities and said, well, what do you need? Like what's missing? Cause all of these toys, right? You have to like switch them on, they're fiddly. They might not work with your body. And they created, which it kind of looks like to me, a pool float, like a floaty toy. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna,
1: Google it. I'm gonna can, Google it. You
2: can bend it. It's not out yet, but if you look at their websites called that's handy, handywithaneye.com. Um And they've created this prototype, it's out next year. And it's for people specifically with mobility issues that kind of masturbate. And you can it, you can either hook like a vibrator on or a male masturbator on there. And it's really easy to enjoy. And it's a lot cheaper than hiring a sex worker every time. So those sorts of things are super interesting in terms of just thinking about the, the broader context of who we're we serving with this industry. We're not just making rabbit vibrators for women that watch sex in the city that can conform to a specific body type where what sexual orientations might we want to serve. You know, there's another interesting um, product that's just been launched called the V Dom, which is a smart strap on for predominantly for the lesbian community, could be for the trans community and really anyone that wants to have a strap on experience. And this strap on is a podcast. So you probably not. I don't know how to make it sound, but like, the the strap-on smart and like you control it with your iphone so that the 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 penis goes from placid to erect this is not the right thing yeah.
0: the, the flippy you've done the flip i don't know i'm trying to explain it you've flicked your wrist it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i got nothing,
1: I got nothing. You
2: know, but that those sorts of things where we're like oh you know you don't you probably are not thinking about that stuff unless it's an issue for you, right? When you're like, I wish this exists because. And yeah, what I like yeah. about this industry is there's so many people that have so many different like sexual preferences or issues that aren't being served. And they're just like, well, I guess I better make it. And so they like do a DIY version, stick it on crowdfunding, get some money, away she goes. And then, you know, they're, they're really raking in the dough, which is really exciting. And they're also at the same time helping people um, have... Cool. The sex tell us about your course okay so sex tech school launched in june um, as a six-week program to help people that are just like i'm really interested in this space i've got this idea well i don't know what i'm going to do but i want to do something and i take them through the fundamentals of what is sex tech who should you know how do you pitch your product how do you build a brand in the space because i think a lot of people are lost of like what's the right way to build a brand in a space where you're going to get shut down from Instagram, pretty much guaranteed. Like my future of sex Instagram gets shut down all the time because of, you know, free the nipple, all all the sorts of censorship and standards around social media. So how do you hack that space? How do you get your product and service into consumers' hands? And how do you raise money in in an industry that really, as far as we've come and as awesome as all this conversation is, once you get to that investment table, there's a lot of stuff like morality clauses if you're working with LPs, just the comfortability if you're pitching to, you know, usually older dudes that have the purse strings. Um, how do you get them interested in something like the clitoris? You know, so there's all sorts of d- different um, barriers than starting up, you know, just another sort of small business that typically you're like, yep, cool, I'll apply for that government funding, I'll, you know, create that product on ig and sell it there and so it's just teaching people the ways of the land um and it's really fun because we've got global um students i have people from brazil and hong kong and the us and Oz, and it's really fun
0: that's okay. insane that's insane it feels like it's exciting stuff for you too because you i suppose you get a look under the hood of all the best ideas and you know you're meeting amazing people too so you can nurture them through the industry and um, yeah. grow together because that's one thing we always say is that your network and the people who you meet are almost just as important as your ideas and what you're doing
2: totally honestly it's, it's like an extension of the podcast like same for you guys is like the reason I love the podcast so much is because I got to talk to the most interesting people and this is just another way of doing it is like oh I'll just invite people in and then we have the conversations there so it won't be too long before you're doing a school. Give yourself like six months and you'll be creating your own school.
0: Mate, I'd love to do the you remember Harold the Giraffe in the van? I'd love yes. to walk up in the van, like the sex ed van though, you know what I mean? And just yes. do something funky there. Cause you remember that as a kid, don't you? So it sticks out.
2: Right. That's right. That needs reinvention. That's
0: and the, that. but I suppose the communication though is it's a smart thing. Like sex ed, like something that's um gonna stick with you and it's about the communication, isn't it? It all comes down to how you talk about it. If you're yep. not laughing about something and someone is, or you know what I mean? It's, it'd be a constant thing if you don't unpredictability when you're coming up and meeting these people, I'd say, wouldn't it? Like, you just yeah. don't know what they, how they, their mature, maturity levels around the topic, I suppose.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you totally get good at controlling that too. Like, um, yeah. just taking the, which is, you know, a gratifying feeling for someone that felt like they had no power, but taking the power back of that conversation. Because as soon as you talk to someone about sex, in a way that you're just vulnerable, open, and strong about it, it immediately is disarming. It makes them more vulnerable, open to having the conversation. It's almost like you're just giving people permission to talk about something. They're like, oh, well, thank God. So, yeah. yeah.
1: There we go. Has there been any belter of belters of ideas come through the school yet? Anything you're allowed to talk about?
2: Ooh. Well, the smart strap on VDOM, that was in funding when um she went through the program so I can't claim ownership over that one. What other we just had a sex tech agency um born out of this. So because there's so much trouble with like marketing sex toys and sex tech products, this agency have put together like here's where you go for, for marketing the product. We also had um a this was what do you call it a like Vibrator for women in with physical disabilities, usually in wheelchairs, that emerged out of one of our hackathons. It's probably one of my most exciting sort of ideas that I saw come to life. It was this team that we're working on? How do we make sex more, sexual pleasure more accessible to people with disabilities? So, but there's just like everyone's got their own ideas, right? Because we're all, it's like we all have different fingerprints for our sexuality.
0: Mm. How would you test it at a hackathon though? Like if you're making like sex toys and stuff like that. Do
1: you, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you do you have to use
0: it? Like oh, clearly you would, wouldn't you? Like you have to test your products and just see what's like you're like testing, like like if you're we're launching a product and we're going market testing. Market testing, yeah. There'd have yeah. to be people Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, there wasn't that much time at the hackathon, let me tell you. So they <laughs> built a prototype, but What they did to even get it to that stage was consult with the community so that's like picking up the phone going out we make them go and talk to people in the street which is really confronting but like that's what you're going to be doing if you have a sex tech company is you're going to be facing all the random general public like reactions to your product so you need to go out in the street and talk to people so they did that and then yeah once it's evolved like Prototype phase on a weekend is super tight. So it's like, yeah, you're, you're getting the bare minimum. Like you probably shouldn't be using that on your body because you're either using clay to mold stuff. You know, you're just trying to create like something to show. Um, but as it goes further down the track, you absolutely should have like a ring of people that you send your toys to to test, to develop, to feedback on. Um, it's definitely what Handy have done in their in their process.
0: I suppose it's empowering too like i've given people the confidence to fit like to like you said disarm conversations and all of a sudden now they can control the conversation it might be something that they're really confident in for the first time or something they can take ownership around and it really that stems from that like the confidence and more ideas and you know just yep. feeling good about yourself i suppose
2: yeah a hundred percent yeah giving like it's insane to see people that even my own thing i think coming in four years ago and not really understanding much about different sexualities or like much about more than my own and maybe my friend's experience having that breadth of um eye-opening conversations with people and I'll tell you one more story and then I, I feel like I've overstayed my welcome but I I went to this thing called a SAR in the US which is for sex therapists usually it's a sexual attitude readjustment day and I feel like everyone should do this. And it's basically this qualification you need to do in order to become from a psychotherapist to a a sex therapist. And during that day, you get exposed to every different um, proclivity, not fantasy, like more sexual conditions or issues in this book. And so you watch people like fall in love with balloons or like wear nappies and why they have a nappy fetish. And you just dive into every single different wild wacky thing that people might be attracted to or might feel some sort of sexual way about and having done that I felt a lot more sort of understanding about sex than ever before and from that I was like oh cool one like nothing's gonna phase me and and have been able to speak about sex and sexuality so much more confidently just being exposed to like all these different ideas and thoughts and reasons that people might have a penchant for things like sharks or blow up toys or balloons. It's
0: it's a psychological thing. It's a, it's a, it's understanding it's more than just the the fluffy shit. Really. It's, it's everything that goes along with it and it's fallen in love with the process. And like you're saying, the market's huge. I feel like not enough people talk about it open, openly Mm. enough.
1: Um, we're pumped that we've had you on, on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are going to be really interested. I love this chat. It's been great.
2: Power's running out. So I like don't want to,
1: don't die on us i tell you what i told my wife that i wouldn't mention her because she was getting angry that she said i don't want you don't talk but then <laughs> we um we i was explaining when we had before last week but we missed out on chatting last week and i had the wheel of four play out while she was getting ready to go to work and we had a spin and the first thing it said have a quickie, see how quick you could go and then she laughed at me so i think uh <laughs> that's I, normal isn't it? yeah i was like <laughs> All right, maybe that's not the best way to start <laughs> <laughs> But do you want to um, explain for those who've like, got this far in the chat, you want to talk about like, the wheel of foreplay, you want to go try something out? What oh, is the God. wheel of foreplay? That is
2: hilarious. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm really glad like, that work, worked out for you.
1: Oh, well. yeah, was, <laughs> um, she just laughed, she went off to work and just laughed at me. She walked out the door thanks, very quick. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Em, yeah.
2: Um, you want me to explain it? Was that the question? Was
1: yeah, question? No, Not about me. <laughs> Your explain situation. Not, yeah. not my situation. Explain the wheel of fortune, yeah.
2: Foreplay. Wheel of foreplay. Wheel of foreplay.
1: <laughs> fortune, fuck,
2: a wheel of foreplay. i lost the plot. Your fortune, others foreplay. Um, <laughs> That's it. Wheelofforeplay.com, so you can go there. It was a really fun project to work on. Um, we were sponsored by YouPorn and worked together with Joseph Mark, who are my partners in this Future of Sex Lab. They're amazing at everything they do. And we created this spin the wheel game. Essentially, it's like you spin the wheel and you get a suggestion of what you could do, like a quickie or um, FaceTime 69 and all these different ideas. we had a blast writing the copy and it was meant to be, you know, at the start of the pandemic. Okay, everyone's locked inside. Like, what can you do? How can we make this fun? Because there was a ton of resources around like, how To save your marriage, and like, but what about just like if you're not trying to like save your relationship? Well, maybe this will help. Like, how can you be inspired to just have fun and be silly and like just take a bit of the seriousness out of the situation and um and have fun with your sex life? So, we look four plays where it's at. It actually exploded, we didn't anticipate how well it would do, and it got like a million and a half views within the first week. Like it was just, yeah. people were going nuts for it. There was, like, is everyone just staying at home? they
1: <laughs> <laughs> got it on the big screen, I reckon. Hey, the Chromecast them. gets to the big screen and they go, ding, 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 hey, ding, 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 ding. The family
0: games are gone now. twister is gone. We were a foreplay. I'm bringing that over this Christmas. Yeah, no more Monopoly. No, no more Monopoly. Fuck that.
2: Yeah, exactly. No oh, my God.
0: Yeah, family Christmas. That's maybe not family. family. Not family <laughs> Christmas, but yeah.
2: I was just like I don't even think my parents have seen it, but um, yeah. yeah, don't think they need to.
0: Chris Kringle, good idea, isn't it? There you go.
1: Open
0: <laughs> it up. There you go. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us, Brony. It's been an amazing, eye-opening chat. I feel like a lot of people are going to take a lot of things away from it, and I'm just uh so excited to to share this and um really really pumped to to have you on and hopefully we can have you on again soon and do it in person but um yeah it's been amazing
2: soon hopefully thanks for the great questions so i really enjoyed it
1: brony cole
0: brony cole brony cole say that three times fast
1: i don't think i could but how happy are you like we're talking about strap-ons and dildos to start our morning (laughs) yeah look at look it's a
0: I love the colourful chats like this because I think it's uh, disarming, as, as mentioned in the podcast. It really um, it shocks a lot of people when you talk about this sort of stuff. So for her to get involved in this industry, she's a really, really smart woman, isn't she?
1: She's a maverick, trendsetter.
0: Yeah. She's breaking down
1: some doors, smashing through some... One dildo at a time. With bang, <laughs> bang, bang, banging down the door, baby. Hey, we love this episode and we hope you do. do. Hit us up and let us know what your thoughts are because we're keen to hear them.